The Leafs got that top four defenseman they've been looking for, and it didn't come at the cost of any well-known talents. Are they done shaking up their roster? And what does it mean for the rest of the league? Plus, a pair of Eastern Conference teams might have a couple of tricks up their sleeve, so that should be fun. Episode 157 starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we uh, talk about the team that everyone hates to talk about because they're so good and everyone talks about too much, and I guess we're one of them. <laughs> yeah. We're going to talk about the Leafs, but before we get into that realm, we're going to delve in the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? Uh, I am, yes. All right, question 45. Who remarked, once the puck drops, you and I are the only two sane men left in the rink? A, a ref advising another official. B, a goal judge conferring with his fellow judge. C, a game analyst predicting play to his play-by-play announcer. Or D, a coach emphasizing with the opposing team's coach. Uh, I don't I don't have any clue. Um, <laughs> I'll go with the last option, uh, sympathizing with the opposing coach. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a pretty odd quote. I'm just thinking, really, this is a question? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the correct answer was a referee advising another official. Mm. Which, you know, if a game gets out of hand, I'm pretty sure everyone else is going to say, these are the two these are the least sane men left in the building because they're not calling the game right. But, right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's I guess it makes sense, but it's a weird that that's even a question in this in this book, yeah. Um, I will admit, as, as much as we get riled up about the officials, and like in in the OHL, I've, I've, I've been a part of a lot of OHL broadcasts, and on par, the Ottawa 67's broadcast that I've been a part of, I hear at least one referent in a game. Yeah. <laughs> just just when it, it it can be different things when it comes to the consistency of the officiating where they call something and then the exact same thing happens later in the game and they don't call that mm-hmm. um to letting the game get out of hand in the broadcaster's eyes um it it, it varies but usually one ref rant per OHL broadcast is, <laughs> is usually the OHL broadcast that I've done I've noticed that there's at least one time where I'm thinking if there's not a referendum, just thinking at some point in the game, there's bound to be. Um, And as much flack as we give the officials, imagine trying to keep your cool when with everyone jawing at you whenever they think you make the wrong call. Like there's no such thing as a perfect game if you're an official. Well, I mean, that's just, it's just a junior game that you're you're talking about, like in NHL, NFL, wherever it's pretty wide now. It's at all levels, though. Mm. It's it's not just the NHL. It's the it, or the OHL. It's the NHL. It's the AHL. I, I feel it happens everywhere. And then you hear uh, these stories every now and again of minor hockey parents absolutely losing their minds at the officials. Like these are like thirteen-year-old kids, maybe even younger than that, and you're right. getting upset at the official. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. 
Um, actually, so uh, speaking of which, first, I, I feel like I would be remiss to just congratulate the my Patriots for yeah. winning the Super Bowl. There's six in a row. There's six not not in a row, but there's six Super Bowl. It's been um it's been a tough two years since the last time the Patriots have won. Um, but um, but no, it's uh I I'm sure everyone's everyone else who's not a Patriots fan is sick of my uh obnoxious the obnoxiousness of us. So I'll uh mm-hmm. keep it low key. But congrats to my yeah. Patriots. Um. This is one of the worst teams I've seen of the Patriots, but it's, it's just amazing that they, this team won. And the the team the year that the Patriots went undefeated for the whole regular season, they they that was a Super Bowl team that lost. So um, I, I find it funny that that I see this what seems to be an eight hour long pregame show. They hype this up to the moon. And we're rewarded with a combined 16 points and right. only three at the half. Yeah. Like, that's perfect karma right there. Well, it was, I mean, for me, I was like, I was on the edge of my seat the entire game because, like, the Patriots weren't scoring and so were, the like, the the Rams were also not scoring. So that, like, felt like, like, oh, God, like, we better score this this drive because the Rams, like, is at any moment I was, like, convinced the Rams were going to score, and then it never actually happened. So, um, but it was more like, so from my side of things where I actually had an active rooting interest, but, like, yeah, if I if I didn't care about who won, I probably would be like, oh, I should, like, what, what else is on or something. But, um, yeah, anyways, a good win. One of the, like... One of the few times where the the defense was like like the main reason why the Patriots won, so that was nice. Um, but uh, anyways, let's go back to hockey here. Um, Jake Muzzin. So the big there was a couple of trades this week. Uh, the biggest one um, was Jake Muzzin to the Maple Leafs. Uh, it was for Carl Grundstrom. Sean Dursey and a first round, a 2019 first round pick. Um, we've been saying this all along that the Leafs' like biggest weakness is their defense. Um, if they can just get one shutdown defenseman, um, it doesn't even matter if it's a two way guy. But if they can get one defenseman, um, then I think they can be like legitimate contenders if they weren't already. And Jake Muzzin is the perfect guy for them. Uh, for that for that team uh, just because he is like a really good shutdown defenseman um, and he also scores occasionally as well so this year um, he is uh, he had 21 points in 52 games uh, he had an assist in the two games that he's played for oh no he hasn't had a point yet in the two games that he's played for the Maple Leafs um, but uh, still 20 21 points in 52 games isn't terrible um, I also decide, like it's hard to quantify how good a, a guy is on defense, but um, he has 114 hits, uh, 96 blocks um, in those 52 games, and he has a plus minus of he has a plus 10 on the LA Kings um, and a plus one for the Maple Leafs. So that's like especially for how bad the Kings are doing. Um, yeah that's really impressive that you can be at a plus 10 um on that team um so 
so yeah, he's he's very good defensively. He's kind of the guy that they want. Um, and then I'll, I'll also talk about the stats for Carl Grundstrom and Sean Dersey as well. Uh, Carl Grundstrom was a 2016 second round pick, uh, drafted number 57 overall. He's 21 years old. Oh, right, right. Uh, Muzzin was, is 29 years old, by the way. Um, Grundstrom had, uh, has 30 points in 44 games in the AHL. That's not bad. 13 of those points were goals and 17 were assists. Um, and then Sean Dursey, uh, he was a 2018 second round pick, uh, uh, 52nd overall. He's 20 years old. Um, he was also traded in the OHL uh, just recently. Um, I'm sure you mm -hmm. knew that. It was Steve. a blockbuster trade involving uh, Habs prospect Nick Suzuki as well. Both of them uh, yeah. went from Owen Sound to Guelph. That was, well, uh, I think, in the first week of January because the OHL trade deadline was around that time. Yeah. Um, he had, uh, and he's had an even more impressive um, season. Um, he has 32 points in 28 games uh, for both when you combine both his stats from Guelph and Owen Sound. Um, so, you, you know, those guys are, um, before I take it back to you, I like, at first when I saw like the trade, I, I had assumed that when like the Ma we knew that the Maple Leafs were going to try to get a shutdown guy, a defenseman or mm -hmm. like a Muzzin type. And I assumed that meant that like, that meant that either Kapanen, Andreas Janssen, um, Timothy Lilligren were all like one of those guys were going to be gone and none of them were. So, so that's why, like, so I was just like, I was like astounded. I was like, Oh my God, the Maple Leafs got like fleece the Kings here. Um, because like that first round pick is going to be, um, in the later rounds, who knows yeah, what grants them. You know. much value as an right. early second rounder. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hold on one second. Let me. Um, um, and uh, and then there was and then when I started to do prep for the show and I just mentioned all those stats here, I was like, oh, Grunstrom and Dursey are actually pretty good players. Um, so um, and that first, you know, that could be something. So I kind of like this for both both sides of uh, of you know for both sides because. You know the the Maple Leafs get their shutdown defenseman that they desperately need, um, a guy that can like let Riley and or Gardner do their thing. We'll get to that in a minute, um, and then the Kings get like Grundstrom and Dursey, who weren't going to get top line minutes of in, even in like a couple years um, on the on the Maple Leafs. So they're they're probably going to get like a big minutes on the Kings now. Cause the Kings are like, that's what the Kings need is they need a lot of young players. Um, so, so they get Grundstrom, they get Jersey, they get a first, whoever that may be. Um, and you know, they, they're able to rebuild just by giving away a guy like Muzzin. So they didn't even give up that much. And, um, and they got a ton of like a building blocks for their future. So, I like this move for the Kings as well. Um, so yeah, what what did you think of this trade? Well, we'll get to, to more in depth on the Kings side, but we'll, we'll talk about the Leafs because obviously yeah, the big piece is there. Um, taking a look at Muzzin's contract, it's 
four million average annual value. Uh, right now, it's going to cost the Leafs about one point five million, whatever's left of it this year, uh, just under that. And um, moving forward, they have just over four million in projected cap space, so they could still do something. Thirty um, percent of their cap with uh, the acquisition of Jake Muzzin is allocated on defense. Thirty percent of their cap. So six overall in the league with regards to total cap it's spent on defensemen. So can, when you consider that the Leafs' defense prior to this had a lot of money spent to their defense, and you know people were knocking the Leafs' defense, and you know oh you know they're going to be pushed around. You know there's a lot of talent, but you know like turnovers are plenty, and their average they're not as great as you think they are. So. Um, it, the, the fact that they're spending a lot of money uh, towards their defensemen and they're still moderately average even with this Jake Muzzin trade uh, and Jake Muzzin does help and we'll get to that in a sec but it's worth noting when you consider that you know even with Jake Muzzin they're probably not done upgrading uh, their defensemen right. um, you also look at the, this, a key stat that probably not a lot of people pay attention to Jake Gardner, Morgan Riley, Jake Muzzin are all left-handed. So is Martin Marinson. He was put on waivers, did not get claimed, so now he's in the AHL. And um, there's talk that uh, Zaitsev might be trade bait uh, as well. So um, the, the Leafs have got a lot of left-handed defensemen on their hands. Uh, they're trying to they're, – they're experimenting with Morgan Riley on the right side, uh, but I don't think they're committed to that. They're probably just – taking a look and seeing how Morgan Riley plays on the right side and and maybe they'll go from there if um, if they feel uh, in the weeks leading up to the deadline they need to do something else maybe they get a right-handed shot like <clears throat> Petrangelo right. but um, but uh, let's let's take a look at how Muzzin impacts the Leafs so we look at his first two or so years in the NHL just getting his feet wet but from 2013-14 onwards, he's really found his zone. Um, at least 170 shots on goal for four straight years from 2013-14 to 2016-17. Um, he did pretty well with the extra man as well. He got at least four goals and 10 points in 2014-15 and in each of the last two years of the stretch I just mentioned. So 2015-16, 2016-17. Um, looking at his average ice time, started off as uh, started off at 19:02 in 2013-14. That was fifth on the Kings, uh, including forwards. Um, it then went up by a lot to 22:42. That was third. Um, went up a bit to 23:04, second on the team. Went down to 22:18, second on the team. 21:39, fourth on the Kings, and this year third on LA with uh, average TOI of 2132. Um, so even with his time on ice fluctuating, he's a guy that can finish the year top five in your team in hits and block shots. Um, at the time of this trade, he was both first in hits and block shots on the Kings. Um, as far as penalty kill, again, top five defenseman sits fourth in that category on the Kings this year. Um, and when you look at Toronto special teams, even their power play of late, it's a work in progress. So um, from a special teams point of view, um, Jake Muzzin should uh, help with that. Um, and, and, and 
you brought up an interesting point about how bad the Kings are and how good Jake Muzzin's stats has been. Um, I, I was wondering how he was utilized with the LA Kings, if that had anything to do with it. So I took a look from the start of 2013-14 to now to see who he was paired with. So in 2013-14, he was paired with Saudi 74.3% of the even strength combos used amongst uh, their decor. Uh, the next year, still over 70% with Drew Doughty. Um, and then once we get to 2015-16, he's mostly paired with Alec Martinez. And then he's spread out with Doughty, Fulham, and Martinez after that. Uh, this year, he's been with Martinez in 57% of the even strength line combos. And with Doughty, less than 10%. So he's a solid second line defenseman. I don't think he's one of those guys that you put on your top line, but he's a solid second line defenseman that can shut people down, um, that can use his big frame um, very wisely. He's six foot three, 213 pounds, pretty heavy guy, can play all three zones. Um, I've also heard that he can use his stick very well. Um, and that can be helpful when it comes to um, thwarting passes preventing the cycle which the Leafs have struggled in, um, making sure guys don't drive to the net as much. The Leafs have struggled in that, and their goaltenders have struggled with screenshots as well. The Point Hockey had an excellent article on that. Um, the only other defenseman with more puck battles won than Jake Muzzin this year is Mark Giordano, and he's kind of in the hunt for the Norris Trophy right now. Right. So you can say whatever you want of whether or not, oh, Jake Muzzin can play the right side. Oh, no, he can't. Well, if he makes, I, I think, I think what you should judge this deal on is, does he make the Leafs better? Are the Leafs a better team with Jake Muzzin? And I look at Jake Muzzin and I say, this is a tougher team to push around. Yep. He's not going to make them better overnight, but they are a better team with Jake Muzzin in the lineup. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It, it's, it's been something that we've been saying all along. Um, like whenever, I, like, because I feel like when we uh, the last time I saw the Leafs play was when they played the Bruins, and the Bruins are going to be the likely first round opponent of the Leafs. And like a big reason why the Leafs were the better team for the most part of that game, but a big reason why they're they lost that game was just the defensive lapses in the game. So if you can add a guy like Jake Muzzin who is like one of the best defensive defensemen in the league right now um, and can occasionally score uh, as well, um, you know, then like, you know, this is a scary team to deal with if they weren't already, yeah, like, like, you know? We're talking about a guy that also put up 40 points uh, in a stretch in uh, three, in a stretch of uh, yeah. three and four years. Right. So it's not like, yeah, it's not like he, he, he can't put up points either, right? So um, so that's, and you can allow, like, you know, Jake Gardner is a good defenseman, uh, but he's kind of like Tory Krug in the way that, like, he's only so good on offense, but, but like, he has these lapses on defense. Um, and uh, Morgan Riley's uh, legit, has turned out to be a legit number one defenseman. But like Jake Muzzin can help, can help out both these guys depending on who they pair him with, um, and uh, you know it only makes their team stronger. 
Um, and it's been a weak link for them for the past couple of seasons now. Um, and if, you know, cause their forward group is one of the best in the league. Um, so if they can improve their defensemen, uh, Frederick Anderson's also one of the best goalies in the league too. So if they can improve their defensemen, that's, that's pretty much what they need. And they're, they can uh, definitely contend with the lightning. Um, you mentioned this, uh, 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 just a couple minutes ago, but, um, so apparently the the Maple Leafs were trying to get Alex Pietrangelo, but they uh, but the uh, the Blues wanted Casper uh, Kapanen and a draft pick, and the Leafs were not willing to do that, according to Nick Kiprios. Um, they don't uh, the Leafs do not want to part with uh, Rasmus Sandin, who is their 2018 first round pick, or Kapanen, um, and then a, another team also wanted a William Nylander for a defenseman. I'm blanking on who it was, but this was from Elliot Friedman. So it seems like they, like, when I thought, like, oh, they're... I think, it was, I think you know, that team was St. Louis as well. Oh, was that also St. Louis as well? So yeah. so they want, probably wanted more than just, um, just a, you know, um, which I guess makes sense because Peter Angelo is, like, the St. Louis Blues guy, so they wanted to make sure that they'd get someone who had an equal talent whereas like the kings they have drew dowdy as well so if, you, if, if the Leafs wanted drew dowdy they probably would have to pay up more um yeah and then uh i, I think I, I think when when i look at this trade and i look at the names moving out and we'll talk more about the names that the leafs got rid of when we get to the kings but the fact that Nylander is still here, the fact that Kapanen and Janssen are still here, the fact that yep. Dermot Hall, Lilligren, and Sandine are also still on the team, that's probably the biggest win for Toronto because they get their sure. guy and they don't have to give up anything. Yep. I think if they go after Petrangelo, they won't be so lucky. Yep. But the fact that they were able to hang on to all of those guys makes a trade for Alex Petrangelo even more possible. Yep. Because now they have Jake Muzzin to add to Alex Petrangelo. True. Whereas if they talents in the Jake Muzzin deal, maybe a deal for Alex Petrangelo doesn't work. And if if they want to throw in Zaitsev and Gardiner in a package deal to St. Louis to get Petrangelo, maybe they'd be willing to do that because yep. those are guys that are probably going to be hogging up a little bit of cap room that I think are both expendable, especially Gardner. I think... Yep. Even with even if they don't get Jake Muzzin, Jake Gardner is gone. Yep, I think uh, we've already established the fact that Jake uh, that Jake Gardner's time at the Leafs is yeah, near its end. Even before and they got him, <laughs> if if trading Jake Gardner to St. Louis means they get Petrangelo, I think the Leafs I think the Leafs should do it. Yeah, I don't know why the Blues would do that, but yeah, no, I I think they uh, that that is clear. Uh, yeah, Jake Muzzin. So actually, that takes me to the, our next point. Uh, so first off, Muzzin, Morgan Riley, and Gardner are all natural left shot defensemen. Um, and Petrangelo shoots right, which is why, again, I think a Petrangelo yeah. trade to Toronto would make um, sense. There's also reports that the Maple Leafs aren't done yet. Um, so, like, they may try to get another defenseman. So that may be, like, maybe Petrangelo is still in the works. At the current moment, uh, Muslims on the left side, Morgan Riley's on the right side, and then Jake Garner's on the second pairing with Saitsev, um, and and Garner's on the left side. Uh, but there was a report that like right after this trade, um, like Daryl Sutter, 
um, said that like he was scared to put Muslim on the right side um, and like he never did it um, and he's not sure what the Leafs are going to do in, do in, th in doing that. Uh, also like Mike Babcock in his years with uh, Detroit and in Anaheim like he historically had a lot of defensemen who were all naturally on one side of the of the defenseman and uh, Babcock, I think, told Friedman, Elliot Friedman later on that, like, it's a tough thing to uh, manage uh, when you have all these defensemen all on the right, like, all on the right, um, on a certain side, not necessarily on the right or the left side. Um, Especially so, when one of them includes a guy like Morgan Riley in the hunt for the Norris Trophy. Right, right. So... Um, so at the moment they have Morgan Riley on the right side. We'll see how it goes. It's one of those things where like I feel like like left wingers like often change to the right side or you know vice versa, and it doesn't seem like that much of, that big of a difference. But I guess it is a big of a difference for defenseman pairing because then you have to like you have to put your more energy onto um, shooting left or shooting right um, and not not every defenseman is like naturally a left-hander or naturally a right-hander. So, um, so I can totally understand, I guess I can understand why this is a bigger deal. Um, but I feel like it's more of like a hockey nuance kind of thing where like the casual fan doesn't really care about it. Anyways. Um, yeah, I don't know what they necessarily do at this moment. Um, cause it's, it's tough to like say, like which um if this will be a, an issue in the future um but we'll see I, I think the reason they're trying riley on the right side is to see if it's doable okay and if it's not then they make something happen before the deadline yeah that's that's probably like they're doing like a wait and see type situation yeah um and if, they, they, and if they think they're they're a better team with riley on the left side and they also think Muzzin is good on the left side. Again, Jake Garner, Garner on the outside up. looking in as the third left D pairing. Yep. Like, um, how much of use is he going to be making the money that he is on the third D pairing? Yeah. So, speaking of Garner, that you just, you, I mean, you've mentioned this a while ago, uh, but Garner has one year left uh, making $4 million. Muzzin has two years left making four million, and then Morgan Riley has four years left making five million. And um, this is all counting the, the rest of this year. Yeah, and uh, Nikita Zaitsev, which is it's now laughable that he he's made he has six years left on four point five as well. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this seems kind of inevitable that Jake Gardner's probably gone, especially with this trade here. Um, I'd imagine he's gone. Um, but I, I don't know if it even makes sense to trade him before the deadline uh, just because they're, he's going to be an important part for their push this year. Uh, like I said, you know, if the price is right and it means Petrangelo yeah. goes to Toronto, yeah. I think it's a done deal. I mean, I but think... If the, if the price isn't right, I think he is worth keeping around at the same time. True. I think if, if you can get a guy like Petrangelo or someone of that nature... Um, then I think you do it, uh, for sure. But like, I don't, I like, it's, I mean, we're going to talk about this later, but I don't see why, like, it's kind of a similar situation on trading Bobrovsky or Panarin, 
Uh, they're going to be an important part of your team for this playoff push. And, you know, that's one of the main reasons why you're even there in the first place. So, I mean, of course, Jake Gardner isn't like the least will survive without Jay, Jake Gardner. And but, that is why I think but, he's more tr- that that's why I think he's more expendable than someone right. like Panarin and Bukowski would be and would be easier to move because the Blue Jackets, I don't know how they would do without Bobrovsky and Panarin. The Leafs are fine if they don't have Jake Gardner. True, but I just don't know. Like, I feel like, like especially come the playoff time, like, you just need defensive depth and, and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. So so I, I, I would just treat him as a rental right now. You know that you're not going to get him back next year. And you just have, you know, and, and in fact... Because Marner and Matthews are going to want a ton of money this year. So you're going to save a ton of money if you just, like, you know, that's $4 million left um, if you just leave him as a a rental um, on the table. So I think you're, I think it just makes sense to keep him as is. um, And he's probably gone at the, at the end of this or in the offseason. I don't see how they can. Assign him, especially because of this trade, and especially because they still have to sign Matthews, Marner, and Kapanen, um, mm-hmm. but under the cap. So, um, so yeah, if if there's a time to go for it, it's right now because this is going to be the only time where Matthews is going to be cheap on a contract, and uh, Marner is going to be cheap on a contract, um, and especially now when you have Gardner as a rental. Um, Tavares, um, you know, is only getting, he's like 30 years old right now. So he may decrease in talent pretty soon. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's going to be, um, like, I feel like you have to go for it now if you're the least. Um, yeah. And it's tough for Dubas to find a balance because at the same time, while you want to go all in and give it all you have this year, especially if you get someone like Petrangelo, you have to still be mindful about the future because they just gave away a first Sean Dursey and Kyle Grenstrom, which we'll talk about in a bit. But as you start to go all in and you start to give up more assets and you're up against the cap and like you said you're signing Marner you're signing Matthews you're signing Kapanen potentially to a new contract yep and those guys are getting more money the future becomes all that more important and how do Tampa stay relevant building through the draft getting prospects right if they get a decent haul for Jake Gardner that helps out their future then maybe Dubas is wise to trade Gardner if if he thinks they can do just as good without Jake Gardner Yep, no, for sure. It all depends on what what his value in Gardner is and what his value is on the future. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's talk about. Um, let's talk about the. Um, by the way, I was just I found out that Lilligren has been set to play in the ECHL, which is interesting, um, and apparently he's likely getting traded, according to, um, someone in Craig Custance. Um, anyways, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'm I not guess, sure I agree uh, with that. <laughs> get on the phone then. Yeah. I'm not sure I agree with that training a guy like Timothy Lilligren, uh, especially since he's under a, an a entry level contract. But, um, anyways, um, let's go to the King side for a second. Um, yeah. I mean, I mentioned this when I started the show, 
Uh, Sean, like, of course, they didn't, speaking of Lilligren, they didn't get end up getting Lilligren. They didn't even get a, a Kapanen or a Nylander or um, what's-his-face, uh, Andreas Janssen. They didn't get a lot of the top prospects that I thought the Leafs would trade to get a shutdown guy. So in that regard... Yeah, like, all, all, of these, all these names in the trade, I'm just thinking... I don't recognize any of these names right. on the Leafs roster. But in that in that regard, the Leafs kind of won the streak because they didn't give up any of those guys. However, Carl mm-hmm. uh, Grundstrom, like, has, according to Steve Dangle, by the way, I was I was listening to Steve, I was watching Steve Dangle here. Carl uh, Grundstrom was a big part of the of the Marlies uh, Calder run last year. He kind of provides this like grit, and he's like a power forward in, of sorts. Um, so he, yeah, one of those antagonizing yeah. forwards you hate yeah, to play against. Exactly. So he, so he adds that little edge to them. Sean Dursey, as we mentioned before, he was traded in the OHL. He's like a defenseman too, and he's putting up a, over a point per game in the OHL. Of course, the OHL like the points get inflated even more so um, than in the NHL, and it's not. In terms of toughness, it's definitely not in the AHL or definitely not in the NHL. So we'll see how Sean Dursey does in the AHL. But it's a good sign that uh, as a defenseman, he has 32 points in 28 games. Um, so so in that regard, like they're definitely like B-level prospects because they could be something, they could be nothing. But at the same time, these two guys are going to probably play on the Kings Versus the Maple Leafs who have all, like, they can't afford to lose these guys because they're not going to be a big part of their future. Um, yeah. So, and Jersey hasn't even signed his contract. Right. So they, they just got his rights. Right. So That's it's, all they got for him. Right, exactly. So it's not going to be, um, so these are, like, deals that they can afford to, to lose or players that they can mm-hmm. afford to lose. Uh, but at the same time, they could be legitimate roster players for the Kings. Um, maybe not top line guys, maybe uh, even not like a top pairing guy, but you know, it could be something where they're gonna be like players that you know are pretty good. and and that's a pretty good deal for someone like to get because all they all the Kings lost was Jake Muzzin. The Kings aren't making the playoffs this year. Uh, they're probably going to have a high draft pick, at least in the top 10, I would say, um, maybe top five. So, um, and they're like, you know, they're increasing in age every year. They have, you know, Kopitar, uh, they have uh, Kovalchuk, uh, Jeff Carter, uh, Drew Doughty, Jonathan Quick. They're all getting up there in age. So it's, it is time for them to start rebuilding. And this is a good first step for them. Of course, they probably would rather have a Timothy Lilligren or they probably would rather have a Kapanen or Nylander or whatever. But at the same time, I think this kind of deal works for them um, because, you know, the, you get two players that are probably going to get a lot of minutes. And it may not work, but it could work. If this works, uh, then it's a good deal for the Kings. Yeah, and I think it's just a sign of things to come. I mean, yep. uh, this is what uh, Ro- uh, this is what uh, Luke Robitaille uh, told his season ticket holders um, via a letter. Uh, here's a section of it. 
We entered the 2018-2019 campaign with high expectations. However, our results have been absolutely unacceptable. Today, we begin a difficult but necessary step for our franchise. As we move forward, we will continue to relentlessly pursue and develop talent to become a team that is capable of winning in today's NHL. We are grateful to all the players and coaches that have helped us achieve our goals to date. We will never forget or minimize their tremendous contributions during what has been the most successful era in Kings history. Moving forward, we will diligently and tirelessly work to execute our vision. Our goal is to deliver a performance worthy of your amazing support and loyalty, and most of all, returning the cup to Los Angeles. In other words, they're rebuilding. Yep. That's exactly what it means. Yep. So, of course, more of this is going to come. They're going to trade old long-term contracts. They're going to try and get rid of some cap. Like I said, Jeff Carter, probably the most likely to go, probably the most movable. But he likes where he is in L.A. If the fit isn't there, he might retire at the end of the year, so that could minimize the return. Um, I think Kopitar, Doughty, and Quick are the guys they don't trade. But other than that, I think all options are fair game at this yep. point. Um, it's also impossible so, so to it, trade it, those it guys. Was, trading Jake Muzzin was a tough trade, cap. but a necessary trade. Because if you keep Jake Muzzin on your roster, you're basically wasting two good years, or a year and a half in this case, um, even if you re-sign him, you're still going to have that old team that needs to get younger. Yep. So it was a tough trade, but a necessary one. Yeah, I could actually see the Kings maybe trading Jonathan Quick. It's not like he's he's a, has an expensive cap for them. Um, he's only making $5.8 million. Um, so that's not terrible for a goalie. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're right in terms of Doughty and Kopitar are probably the only ones that aren't going um, in this rebuild and that's something that the Kings should have been doing for uh, uh, like maybe last year even um, I know they made the playoffs um, also by the way uh, I was just looking at the standings here if the playoff if the season ended today the Kings are second to last um, in the league so that means that even if um, even if like they at worst that they could do in terms of the lottery would be fifth overall so they would be guaranteed a top five pick um, if the season ended today, um, at least. Um, yeah, no, it's I, I, I think this is something that this will be a sign of things to come. I, I'm pretty sure the Kings will, for the upcoming futures, they're going to be starting to sell a couple of these guys and, um, and pieces. Um, I could see Jonathan Quick being traded in a couple of years, actually. Um, but um, I think until they see what they have in Cal Peterson, I don't think yeah. they do it right away, but maybe in a couple of years, you're right. I think they also kind of set the tone for what could come in the trade market because if you get a late first for Jake Muzzin, yep. for a right handed shot like Cody Cece, the sense have got to be aiming high if yep. Muzzin can get to a late first round pick. Um, Dougie Hamilton, I think if the Canes trade him, they should be asking. For more value, if Mutsing can get a first round pick in this deal. Yep, good point. Um, but again, it all depends on how badly the GM wants the player. If the GM yep. figures I can get this guy in the offseason, I'll wait till the offseason. Yep. Um, that's that kind of brings us to our are they for real um, section here. Um, let's talk about first the Flyers, the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, a couple of months ago, we kind of would call them dead, but. Uh, thanks to the resurgence of Kata Hot, um, he's kind of uh, he's making a pretty good case for a Calder uh, nominee at least. 
Um, it's probably mm-hmm. like Elias Peterson kind of has it in the bag, but Carter Hart has been phenomenal as of late. Um, the Flyers are uh, six in the Metropolitan Division. They're 23-23 and six. Um, uh, that puts them to 52 points in 52 games. Uh, so they've also won. Se- they've also yeah. won seven in a row. They've today. also won seven in a row, um, and also uh, that puts them uh, four points out of the playoff race. The uh, Sabers have the wild card with fifty-six mm-hmm. points, um, so they uh, they could be decent. I know. I don't forget if we said this in the show or not, but they the Flyers address that everyone on the team is available for trade except for uh, Claude Giroux and Carter Hart, um, which I find kind of interesting because, you know, like they like even without Giroux and Hart, you still have a lot of good talent on your team. Uh, Giroux does lead their team in points right now. He has 56 points um, in 52 games. Voracek has 45 points in 52 games. Sean Couturier, 43 points in 50 games. Konechny has 30 points in 52 games. Simmons has likely gone, but uh, he has 24 points in 52 games. James Van Riemsdyk has 24 points in 36 games. Um, and then Shane Gosper has 21 points in 49 games. Nolan Patrick has 18 points in 45 games. And Provorov has 17 points in 52 games. I think those are all the notable ones. Um, and then speaking of Carter Hart, in 15 games played, he is 9-5-1 and one, uh, with a GAA of 2.58 and a save percentage of 9-21, um, which is very impressive, especially as a 20-year-old. Uh, we all thought that he would be good. I, I'm still not sure if... Um, I guess I, kinda, I should eat my words because I thought he wasn't ready and it didn't make sense for him to play at the pro level. But at the same time, it, it seems like, you know, it, it's one of those things that if you can play, you can play. It doesn't seem like it's stunning his growth. Um, and I, w- I kind of wonder now if, well, first off, um, actually, you know, I'll go, I'll go this direction here. Um, and then we'll, I'll <laughs> ask my other question later. Um, okay. But, you know, I kind of wonder now that if Elliot, I know Elliot's uh, skating now and uh, Nerve Earth is almost ready to return, but I kind of wonder if even if those guys are healthy, I kind of would rather just run with Hart um, for the time being because he, uh, it seems like he, you know, he could be the legitimate starter, like starting right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, the Flyers say their objective is to still make the playoffs, so if Carter Hart's doing a better job than Brian Elliott, then why not roll with the hot hand? Yeah. Um, taking a look at his incredible month of January, he went 6-2-1 and one with a 2.3 GDAA and a 9.31 save percentage. Uh, in 10 of his 15 decisions, he's faced at least 30 shots, giving up three or more goals in just four of those 10 outings. Um led the NHL in saves during the month of January. Tenth goalie in NHL history to post a five-game win streak before turning 21. The last guy to do so was Gary Price with the Habs, and we all know how good he turned out to yep. be. So, um, also, oh yeah, sorry, go on. 
it's it's just that even with Carter Hart and his winning ways, they're still ten points back of a top three spot in the Metro. Yep. Um, the good news with Carter Hart is that he's one of those goalies that's not really acrobatic. He keeps it simple. He keeps it calm. Yep. He's composed. Doesn't let outside forces bug him. Just controls what he controls. And down the road, that's good for Philadelphia. But like a team like Columbus, for example, there are a lot of unknowns. Um, Unlike the Jackets, uh, the Flyers didn't start off well. But then you talk about their uncertain future and what their roster could look like beyond Claude Drew, beyond Carter Hart, beyond this year. Um, Obviously, Wayne Simmons, Brian Elliott, and Michael Neuberth are the guys that, oh, you know, probably in the next month they'll be gone. Um, but you look at, I, I read somewhere that uh, the Flyers were also close to getting Panarin at the NHL draft last year, and it didn't materialize, unfortunately, for them. Um, so they have the pieces to be a playoff contender in the next year or two, but there's, you still get the feeling that there may be some short-term pain in order to be in or some long-term gain. And maybe they'll have a stand pad approach to the deadline if, um, besides, you know, uh, addressing some of the guys that probably yeah. won't be with the beyond this year. Um, I would have to see where they are in the standings on February 25th before I say whether or not they can get it done. Like, this winning streak has definitely given me hope. I will say that. Without this win streak, I have the Flyers dead in the water and not making the playoffs at all. But Carter Hart and his, and his solid play has made me think otherwise that, you know, hey, you know, they're still giving up 30 shots a game. Carter Hart this time is making the saves and they're getting results. Um, but a lot needs to go right for the Flyers. Um, because like we've seen in previous years, uh, last year with Florida, um, I think the year before with Tampa Bay it happened where um, – you know they go on a second half surge and they just miss out in the playoffs um given the division they play in given the teams ahead of them um it it, it might be too big of a mountain to climb the flyers will give it their best um i i i don't know if if the goaltending can sustain it i think carter hart's gonna have a pretty good year yep and i think he's here to stay but um at at, at some point um, the magic's going to run out, even if they make the playoffs. Um, I don't consider this team a threat beyond the first round. So, m- trading this guy or this guy or this guy. Right. Yeah, that's the-, the Flyers can't afford to be a playoff on the bubble team anymore. Yeah. They're too good on paper to be that. They need to be more than just an on-the-bubble playoff team. Right, but I don't think it makes sense for them to, like, trade every guy who's not named Claude Giroux or Carter Hart. It, like, mm-hmm. you know, they still have good pieces around. Like, Ghost Bear and Provorov are really, like, good, underrated players. Defensemen there. Vorchek, um is, like, having a decent year. Couturier is getting going now. Uh, Konechny is pretty good too. So, like, in, and don't forget Nolan Patrick. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this, the, like, you know, he's, I mean, he's not having great deployment, but he's he's been good in stretches every now and then. So, I, I just don't know if it, I know that they said that they're going to trade everybody or, like, everyone's on the market. 
Um, I just don't see why they would even trade Voracek, Turier, Ghost Bear, Provorov, or even Nolan Patrick. Um, unless... I, don't think it, I, I don't think in hindsight it's fair to say that everyone's on the market, but I think everyone besides those two names is going to be evaluated. Yep. Like, they 100% not trading this guy. But they are going to evaluate what this guy brings right. and another guy bring it. And how much value is he to our team moving forward? Can he yeah. get the job done with him? Yeah, I guess so. I, I just don't understand. Like, I, I feel like they're, they're like, pretty close to the playoffs right now. I just don't know why it would make sense to suddenly... Like, if you're in the Devils situation or the Panthers, then I can be like, okay, that makes sense. That, that makes sense to sell their players. But if you're the Flyers, you're, like, you're four points out of it you should try to go for it. Uh, you shouldn't be in sell mode. You should be going for it mode. Um, but I, I, I mean, I guess I understand what you're saying that even if they do make the first round, um, even if they do make the playoffs, they're probably out of it in the first round. So it's not even worth it. But like, this is kind of like the Capitals are struggling. The Penguins are struggling. The Islanders aren't really that scary of a team other than their goaltending. So, or the Blue Jackets, they may like end up trading Panarin, which we'll get to in a second. So like, like if you're going to go for it, I would if I were the Flyers, um, because they're, you know, they could you know, especially now that they have good goaltending, which is something that they haven't had in years, maybe ever. Uh, other, yeah. I guess, other than Ron Hextall, that's true. But like, you know, that something that they have, but that was in the '80s. So, so it's something like that. They, you know, they they finally have a good goaltender. They have a good team around them, or guys who may be struggling right now, but they could be on their way up. I I just wouldn't sell their guys. I I just make a playoff push right now. Um, maybe you don't go all in and, and become buyers, but I just wouldn't be sellers either. Yeah, I think I think I think the way that Chuck Fletcher is thinking, and I've heard him say this before, is. He's going to make trades that make sense for the hockey club and make this hockey club better. And yeah. I don't think it's a case where it's like the Sens where they're just selling off everyone for futures. I don't think the Flyers are in that point. I think if they if they sell off anybody, it's to make their team better right now. Yeah, later. I guess that's fair. Um, also, so I just wanted to shout out Carter. I mean, we've already shouted out Carter Hart before. Um, but I also feel like, let's say the Flyers do make the playoffs and Carter Hart is the starter for uh, for the rest of the season, then I'm pretty sure he's in the he's going to be a Calder nominee. Um, mm -hmm. It would all depend. I mean, it's it's Elias Pettersson's uh, trophy to lose, but let's say if Pettersson does drop off, Carter Hart's the for sure Calder winner there. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's how it goes. But I, I think Carter Hart has kind of earned himself to at least be in the talks of, of a Calder nomination they should call him calder yeah. heart uh, get it um, heart. yeah yeah <laughs> or starter heart that's another name starter heart. Yeah, yeah. although I, I i'm more impartial to kata heart because of the boston thing but um he yeah, has no like connection to boston at all um yeah. let's go to uh, another hot goalie um in the uh st louis blues and speaking of good nicknames, we uh, came up with uh, Jordan Winnington. 
Yeah, um, I, I heard it through the grapevine just like that. Yeah, I know. That was, that was Steve. I, I should say that Steve coined that term. I thought it was hilarious when he first said it. Like, but, I, I stole it from Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've been meaning to talk about Jordan Bennington for a while now. Um, and, uh, and now here we are. We're going to do it in an Are They For Real section because we haven't talked about the Blues in a while. Um, um, almost at all. Uh, they struggled at the beginning of the year. Um, and then since the emergence of Jordan Bennington or Winnington, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're in the playoff race now. Um, it is kind of tough because they're in the central division. They're not in the Metro like the Flyers are, but, uh, Jordan Bennington is six, one and one. He has a nine twenty two save percentage and a 1.86 GAA, which is very good. Um, obviously, um, However, it's 10, he's only played in 10 games so far, so it's still a small sample size for goalies. Um, but he's, he's already better than Jake Allen, who is, uh, Jake Allen is 15, 15, and four. Um, his save percentage is under 900 um, with an 897 save percentage and a 3.04 goals against average. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly has 52 points in 50 games. Tarasenko has 35 points in 49 games, so that's uh, not great for a guy like Tank. Uh, David Perron has 35 points in 45 games. Braden Shen has 30 points in 46 games. Uh, Jaden Schwartz has 21 points in 37 games. Let's see other guys. Uh, Vince Dunn has 21 points in 46 games, and Pedrangelo has 20 points in 39 games so um and i think that's about it in terms of notable players um but yeah so a lot of those guys especially tarasenko and uh Petrangelo, they're kind of having like a like a bad season but it does seem like ryan o'reilly has been like a life force for the blues he's been carrying this team for a while now um, and has been a big reason for why the Blues are um, are even in playoff contention in the first place. Um, so I don't think just because of how tough the division is for the, in the Central, I don't think the Blues will make the playoffs, um, especially with Winnipeg, Nashville, Colorado, Dallas, and Minnesota all in the mix. Um, so. I I'm gonna say they're they're not um, in good position, but uh, Jordan Bennington has been pretty good lately. He keeps on winning. Um, apparently, he had a winning streak when he was in the AHL. He uh, he has since lost um, in in the NHL, but uh, he, it's still impressive. <laughs> He's only lost once. Um, in regulation and lost another time in overtime, but he's he's looked good so far. Um, yeah, uh, what what is Jordan Winnington for real? That's what we should be asking. Well, um, I I think when you look at what he's done in previous leagues, um, the potential is certainly there. In his final OHL campaign, he uh, he posted a 2.17 GAA and a 9.32 save percentage. I think he played in like 40 or 50 games that year. Um, also appeared in 12 playoff games, uh, posted a 9.16 save percentage there, played in the Memorial Cup that same year. 
Um, the, you go to his first full AHL season, 2.35 goals against average, 9.16 save percentage, played 45 games with Chicago that year, and five playoff games that same year, 9.38 save percentage. Um, following two seasons, not dominant. They were decent. Um, started to get his groove back with Providence on loan last year. Uh, when the Blues didn't have a farm system, Vegas um, took over the Chicago Wolves at that point. Um, in 28 games with Providence, he had a 2.05 GAA and a 9.26 save percentage. Um, and he's been just as dominant in the AHL this year. Um, had a five-game win streak going before his call-up, and then obviously uh, continues to provide wins for the Blues uh, since his call-up. Um but I think the glaring part is how the rest of the team has performed in front of Jordan Bennington. And it's it's the same with Carter Hart, just a young bully, a fresh face, just injecting some life into the team. And for whatever reason, it's starting to get results. The only game in which he gave up more than two goals was against LA on January 21st when he gave up four. That was his first and only regulation loss in the NHL. Um, uh, you look at uh, the rest of the team. Um, they've won the six most faceoffs in the NHL uh, since Bennington's NHL start, his first NHL start. Um, they've been one of the stingiest teams when it comes to shots against. Um, e- even with Jake Allen in the net, um, they have averaged the fourth fewest shots against and the 12th fewest goals against. Yep. But their first in shots four since Bennington's first career start. Um, Tarasenko has 12 points over an 11 game span, scored seven goals, so he's back. Uh, Ryan Sorry. O'Reilly has picked it up. Uh, David Braun might be on IR, but he was uh, riding a lengthy point streak before that. Oscar Sunkfist, seven points in his last 11 games. Uh, Carl Gunnarsson, of all people, has seven points in his last eight. Uh, Braden Shen and Alex Petrangelo have seven points in their last 11 games each. Um, this team is starting to rally around each other with Jordan Bennington as their goaltender. Yep. And it doesn't matter what Jake Allen has done for the Blues in the past. The fact is they're not getting as good results when he's in the net. And when Jordan Bennington is, they're winning. And I think the Blues have a better shot than you might think simply because of how inconsistent the West has been. You look at the Oilers to have lost five straight. You look at the Ducks who got absolutely pounded in the first period by Winnipeg. They were down 6 nothing after 20 minutes. And John Gibson was in net for six of those goals. They ended up losing that game 9-3. to um, Vancouver, who is a fringe wildcard team, no one expected them to do much of anything. So if the Blues really get on a roll, I think a playoff appearance is possible, maybe a wildcard. I, they're not like within striking distance, but I like seven points out of like a top three, top four spot in their division. At this point in the year, the Sens went on their magical run in 2015 in mid-February. It's four days into February right now. So if the Blues get continue to get on a roll here, they could do some serious damage. A playoff spot is certainly possible. Um, I, I think, again, like the Flyers, how they approach the trade deadline, their position at the trade deadline might determine where they go. Um, 
but uh, they they definitely have a lot of divisional matchups that they need to win in the month of february taking a look at their schedule um in florida this week playing the panthers and lightning back to back with nashville this weekend those are all tough matchups uh they also have the Leafs and bruins to deal with in the month of february they get nashville a third time like i said a lot of divisional opponents you got some minnesota you got some dallas in there i think they play colorado as well who is also struggling um if they continue to play at this rate i wouldn't rule out a playoff appearance but um i think like philly a lot needs to go right for the blues yep. um but i like i said if it wasn't for jordan bennington i wouldn't give the blues a chance in hell of making the playoffs this year but a young goaltender has proven me wrong yet again yeah i can I can sort of, I don't, it's it's tough to see. I feel like the Blues have a tougher route to go to just compared to the Flyers just because of how tough their division is uh, versus, you know, like the Central is a lot tougher than the Metro. Um, so I, 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 I'm leaning towards that they're out. But at the same time, I've been saying this all along that like, you know, Jake Allen is kind of overrated. He hasn't been that good of a goalie in a long, long time. And arguably, he has he's never been that way uh, before. He's he's shown some promise, I'll admit, but um, it doesn't. he hasn't shown that he can be consistent. Um, and I think that the Blues will probably roll with Bennington, especially now that he's, you know, he's putting up good stats. I know it's a s- small sample size. He's only been in 10 games um so far um but at the same time he's you know he's six one and one uh with a 1.86 gaa uh so that's pretty good um i i would like to see more consistency because it's still like only eight games um in in terms of full games that he's played but at the same time this is like great news for the blues that they have a a young player, he's only 25, something that they can lean towards in the future. So they may not make the playoffs this year, but Bennington could be a good player to have in the coming years uh, where he's, you know, he's exceptional or something like that. So um, I'd like to see that. I was also, I was looking at the draft, the mock draft quickly here, and I kind of forgot that the Blues um, have they traded their first round pick to the Sabres. But the thing is, is that this it's top 10 protected. So I kind of wonder if like maybe they put Bennington into the minors and try to get a top 10 pick um, if things if things figure out that way, uh, just so that they can have a, a pick in the first round um, instead. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that, that could be interesting. Getting back to Jake Allen just quickly before yep. we move on. I definitely think he still has some use with the Blues, given the f- fact, and we mentioned how thin the goalie market has been as far True. as good quality goaltenders. Is yeah, concerned. he still has I potential. Think, I think Jake Allen is – I don't know if he's the number one goalie we all thought he was. Yep. But I think he could be a capable backup like, like Yaroslav Alak has been for the Bruins when, used wisely, can play good hockey. Yep. But I don't trust him carrying a team, per se, anymore. Yeah. I mean, actually, I'm looking back at his stats. He's He's been decent, I guess, as a starter. 
Um, but it's still, it's, it's tough to like <laughs> this year, he's not having a good year. So I feel like, yeah, he may have some potential, um, but I feel like he works best as a tandem at most. Um, I don't think he's a starter at the moment. Um, yeah, and he's a good safety net for Bennington because if Bennington yeah. struggles, you don't want to go to some guy like Billy Huso who was in their minor system and is finding his way in the minors. He had good True. numbers last year. This year, not so. So I, I think Jake Allen is worth keeping around for a couple of reasons. One, if Bennington struggles, you have someone to go to. Yep. And two, to buy Billy Huso some more time before he's NHL ready. Yeah. So that's, that's why I think fun. Jake Allen's time isn't over with the Blues. But I think his time as a starter might be over. Yeah, I can I can agree with that. Um, okay. Um, by the way, poor before we leave the Blues, poor uh, Robbie Fabry. Um, he is just getting healthy, but he keeps on getting healthy scratched every now and then. Um, he only has uh, two, five points in uh, 23 games. But uh, keep in mind, he's only been playing 12 minutes of ice time. Um, but it, it does seem like the injuries have have had an effect on him, um, yeah. which makes sense. But I, I, I'm still hopeful of him, but it doesn't seem like he uh, is back to what he was a couple years ago. Um, all right, let's go to the rapid fire. So uh, another big trade happened this week. Um Somewhat big trade, I guess. Uh, the Panthers trade Nick Bukestag and Jeremy McCann to Pittsburgh for Derek Broussard, Riley Sheehan, the 2019 second, a 2019 fourth from Pittsburgh, and a 2019 fourth from Minnesota. Um, we'll get to this in a second, but that 2019 fourth was uh, used to be the Dallas Stars pick, but the uh, from you know Jamie Alexiak last uh, last season. But the Penguins just traded Jamie Alexiak to Dallas to get that 2019 fourth round pick, and then they trade him like the next. They trade that pick the next day. Um, I mean, said all that, I think the the Pen- I'm not sure why the Penguins decided to to give up uh, all those draft picks um, for a guy like Nick Bukestag and Jeremy McCann. It's not like those guys are worth that much um for it i think i'd rather just keep the picks that they have um so that's why i'm confused on that we'll get to the panthers reasons for that but um it's perplexing to me why the penguins did this trade yeah so taking a look at uh, the specifics uh buke status two years left beyond the season mccann will need a new deal after next season comes to an end um, another thing to note about Bukestad, he has a modified no-trade clause, so there's a 10-team trade list in his contract set to begin in 2020-21. But he's been traded before that clause kicks in, so Pittsburgh now has the option not to honor it, which, when you consider all the good players that Pittsburgh has, my guess is they probably won't honor it, and they'll take out that no-trade. Um, because you look at um, what Bukestad's going to be paying, Uh, over the next three years what he's going to be receiving in the first three years of his deal he got 2.85 3.35 and 3.85 million respectively in that order years four to six upwards of uh so the pens get to pay whatever's left of the 4.3 million he's owed this year up to 5 million next year in the final year it becomes 5.25 
So um, there, he's going to be costing a lot of money. So um, uh, it, it, it's 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 one of those interesting trades when you talk about um, Nick Bukestad because he spent a lot of time with Barkov and Dadnov this year. Yep. But he was also paired with guys like Denny Mulligan and Jared McCann. Um, if he's exposed with the right guys, I think the potential is there for success. Yep. And of course, the other issue is he hasn't really stayed healthy enough to really get in a groove. Right. Um, but when he's on his game, he's a guy that can generally average 15 to 20 goals a season while generating 170 plus shots on goal. And he surpassed the 200 shot mark on a pair of occasions with the latest being last year when he got a career high 230 shots on goal. And in that same year, he got a career high 49 points in his first 82 game season. Uh, the other thing he provides is size. Six foot six, that's incredibly tall. Um, again, like I said, good shooting ability. Um, and if, if you look at uh, the greater scale of things, this is a guy that can, along the boards, win puck battles, create yep. offensive chances, not just finish and score. He can create chances. And I think if you're a team like Pittsburgh, you need another one of those guys to generate chances. It can't be guys like Kessel and Malkin and Crosby doing all the work. The other key thing to note is that he was drafted as a center. He's been mostly on the wing in Florida. The plan for right now is to try him at center in Pittsburgh, but they haven't said they're fully committed to that. So at the very least, they get a guy with size that can help uh, create chances and uh, can generate shots on goal. So um, the big centerpiece of this trade is Nick Bukestad, assuming he lives up to the hype. So see, that's the thing though. I don't like. I I'm just looking at Broussard's stats and Bukestad's stats, and I feel like they're like the same player. Um, except mm -hmm. that Bukestad is, is and, and technically Jared McCann is the same player as both. True, true. So it's like, so I don't know, like why, like I feel like I'd be okay with this trade. It would be a fair trade if they didn't add, if the Penguins didn't send three draft picks with it, because um, it seems like it's a fair trade, other than that, like there's a you know, other like because Bukestad. I agree with you. He seems to be a good depth guy or a good guy to have on your, like, you know, to complement your star players. Um, and he could thrive in P Pittsburgh because they have a lot of star players on the team, of course. But is he, like, worth uh, three draft picks and Derek Broussard? That I'm not sure about. Um, so I, I, am not like, I guess, uh, Rutherford said that he did it because he wanted to be on a soft rebuild. He didn't want to trade, like, uh, he wanted to trade, um, a ton of players, like a lot of key players just to, to, to like fully rebuild, but they're like rebuilding on the road, on the, on the road, I guess, as they say on the run, um, so, so to speak. But at the same time, I'd rather keep those draft picks um, than take Nick Bukestad because it's not like you get a like a ton of upgrade on that because Bukestad's 26, so he's still going to get older. I mean, sure, Broussard's going to be 31, but uh, you're not even saving that much in cap space either. Like, you're only saving about, like, 0.6 million. 
so you're not like saving much on that side of things so it's it's still like a weird reason why you would do this trade if you're the penguins um mostly just because of those draft picks because i think i'd rather have those draft picks um yeah and if you take a look at um you talk about age um i found this tweet as to who Peng- who the penguins have acquired and ditched uh this year so they got rid of Haglund, who's 30, Broussard, who's 31, Sheehan at 27, Sprong at 21, Alexiak at 26. They bring in a 22-year-old Jeremy McCann, 26-year-old Tanner Pearson, 26-year-old Nick Bukestad, and 22-year-old Marcus Peterson, who had eight points in 11 games in the month of January. So he he he's part of the reason why Alexiak is no longer on the team. He's cheaper, he's younger, yep. and he's got a bit more offensive upside. Um, but you talk about your future when you talk about soft rebuild generally when I think of rebuild I think of getting more draft picks the Penguins have a first round pick for the next three years they don't have a second this year they don't have a second next year they don't have a third this year they don't have a sixth this year in 2019 they have a first, a fourth and a pair of seventh round choices they just hate the draft (laughs) yeah so that's at worst, a top 31 pick. Nothing else until round four. After that, they probably don't get any future talents. Yep. And the four first-round picks dealt by Rutherford during his time with the Penguins have been used to acquire Tanner Pearson, Phil Kessel, and the duo of Buke, Stan, and McCann from Florida. Yep. So beyond this year, how good are the Penguins? That's the question. And they may not even get a fourth-round pick. Apparently, if Shiri who they traded to Buffalo this year. If Shiri scores 20 goals or totals 40 points, or if Hunwick is traded before the 2019 draft, Pittsburgh upgrades to a 2019 third round pick. Um, so there's there's that conditional pick for the on their fourth round pick, but that's not their natural pick. It's the Sabres pick. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, you're, you're right. Like, or uh, yeah, I guess we're in agreement in that, in that regard. Cause I, I just don't understand why they traded that many draft picks um, because, okay, fine, you're not rebuilding, I get it. You have Crosby, Malkin, uh, Kessel, they're getting up there in age, I get it. But at the same time, you, you rebuild by getting all these picks back. You don't do it by getting younger, getting another player who's who's just, you know, you know who's at most going to be a top six uh, in your second line, you know, so... I think they're nearing the... Like they they were nearing the end of the Lemieux and Yager era in like the late nineties, early two thousands, where yeah. they thought, "Oh, we're still good to contend for a playoff team, but how good are we to really win another Stanley Cup?" You know, right? Like they're just trying to keep their Stanley Cup window alive for another couple of years, and then it's going to get to a point where it's just like, "Okay, yeah, we have no choice; we have to do it." Right, right. So that's where yeah. I don't understand it. Uh, let's go down to. Uh, I guess this is going to carry our show now because the next two (laughs) points are going to be a big thing so why the panthers did it apparently they did it according to bob mckenzie was to uh save cap room um so their their plan is is to get panarin and bobrovsky in the offseason um apparently uh panarin and dadanoff are boys um because they're yeah, Russian. They, they're, they're, they're good friends. They know each um, other well. well. And I also don't mind Bobrovsky uh, on the Panthers. Luongo is uh, might retire pretty soon. And um, 
and what what you call uh they and, don't and, if, and James Reimer I don't know if he can be a starter full time so it should I, also I like, be noted but when you talk about Luongo and Reimer the the con with yep Reimer is that he's no better than Luongo the con with Luongo is he's nine years younger than Reimer or <laughs> no you wish he was nine years younger than Reimer nine years older than James Reimer yep and although he makes like not even two million in each of the next three seasons because he's already been paid most of that on that uh, cap heavy contract he signed with Vancouver when he was sold to the Canucks. Right. Um, how much hockey does he have left in the tank? So if you if Luongo retires, then you get a cap heavy backup in James Reimer. And if James Reimer is the odd man out, then all of a sudden you have an aging Roberto Luongo and what happens if he abruptly leaves or right. doesn't play well or stays injured for a long period of time then you're running with Bobrovsky again right so so that's uh, it's an interesting perspective like we've I mean throughout our our whole you know speculation with Panarin and Bobrovsky like going somewhere if they were to go somewhere in this offseason it's always been like well Panarin's probably going somewhere else and Bobrovsky is probably going to this place or whatever. But I, I didn't ever thought about, like, both of these players are going to go to the same team. So um, I guess the Panthers do have enough cap space for next year to afford to to get uh, Bobrovsky and Panarin. Um, they would instantly be a, a favorite if they can keep all the guys together. Um you know, they have uh, Broussard's going to be off the table. Riley Sheehan's also going to be off the table um, in terms of I think UFAs. we both accepted uh, the fact that they just got these guys to yep. either make trade bait later or not re-sign. Um, Frank Vitrano, Hollerick, Malgin, Ian McCushion, and Mackenzie Weger are all going to be RFAs next year. Uh, Brower and Haley are UFAs next year, um, and so is Broussard and Sheehan. So really the only free agent that they have to worry about who's been a, a good piece for them so far is Frank Vitrano. But, um, so they don't have, they, they'll have a lot of cap space this season um, or in the off season to be able to afford Panarin and Bobrovsky um, although they'll probably have to trade James Reimer or Luongo, I'd imagine, um, to some team. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, I don't know. I guess it makes sense. Will it work? I'm not sure. Uh, Panarin, I mean, Florida is near body of water, so that's, that meets uh, Panarin's qualification um, in yeah, terms of destination. And, and he, was, he was spotted hanging out with Kucherov and uh, Vasilevsky yep. in Tampa Bay. So it's True. just like, it's in the same state. Yep. So they are, um, yeah, I mean, he does have that Russian connection with Dadanov. Um, so it could work. We'll see. Uh, but that takes us to our next point because apparently Panarin, so this is uh, according to Le, Pierre Lebrun, uh, Panarin is reportedly about to be dealt before the deadline. LeBron says that the possible destinations or the top two leading teams are my Boston Bruins and the Nashville Predators. Those are the two leading contenders. 
Um, so me and Steve kind of had a back and forth through emails when the, this news came out. out. Um, but I, I can kind of like make a case for what the Columbus could do for anything. They should, on one hand, they should keep him, um, just like consider him a rental um, and keep him as a rental because the Columbus... I mean, I said this before with the Flyers and like Columbus, you know, Nat Washington and Pittsburgh are kind of struggling at points in this in the season. Um, the Islanders, uh, we're not necessarily sure what they are necessarily. So if you're going to go for it, you should go for it now. Um, however, at the same time, I, you know, the Blue Jackets should learn from Tavares um, and the New York Islanders. It's like you can't let him walk. You can't let Panarin or Bobrovsky walk for nothing. Yeah. Um, so um, I guess you do, in a sense, you do save cap space um, if you do let them walk for nothing. But I feel like you could get a lot of a lot for Panarin or uh, Bobrovsky if you were to trade them. However, that's obvious that Columbus is a good team that currently hold a wildcard spot, but the, they're likely in the playoffs. Might as well go for it if you can. The Blue Jackets have not made it past the first round, so if they do that, then that would consider that would be considered a success on the Columbus's part. Um, so... So that's where I'm kind of conflicted about because I can make a case that they should keep him. They should keep him and consider him a rental. He's probably not going to sign next year, but he's going to uh, be there. Um, you know, he'll he'll make a difference in the playoffs and it'll give them the play, uh, the fans something to cheer about. But on the other hand, like you have to think about the future, like. The, the the Blue Jackets should be okay because they have PLD or Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, Seth Jones, Zach Lewinsky, uh Cam Atkinson. Um, so they should be okay. Like, that's a good core to build off of. And then if you can add, like, Panarin and Bobrovsky, that's a, that's a pretty good team for a playoff push. Um, but on the other hand, you know... Panarin and Bobrovsky do like they're not like you know they do add a certain element to the Blue Jackets team I'm not sure that they could make the conference championship they could definitely uh, win a, a round at least but I'm not sure if they can get that far so I don't know if it's necessarily worth it to um, to keep these guys um Necessarily, it really just depends on what these teams would offer and what you could get back in return. Yeah, I think I think the return is going to have to be significant for Columbus uh, to trade Panarin and Bobrovsky. Um, that being said, if if a team really thinks that they can get a guy like Panarin and Bobrovsky to put their team over the top right now, yep. and this is their best chance to do it, then they'll fork over the return and give it to Columbus. Yep. Um, Florida can't be that team, though, because I know how good Bobrovsky and Panarin can be. Like, Panarin's season debut 
was tremendous. Yep. His game against the Jets this past week where he played almost 26 minutes, more than any forward or defenseman on the ice for either team. Uh, that's crazy. Yep. But Florida's top six isn't the problem. We mentioned in our season preview, hey, Florida's got a pretty underrated top six. Their They're top six good. has been very good. Yep. I wouldn't even their say it's issues, underrated, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Their issues are not in the top six. It's the bottom six. And, and I'll give props to Vitrano because he's emerged as a guy that can true. score 20 goals. That's great. Uh, Bukestad and McCann did not get results this year. Uh, you look at some of their other death players, Colton Skivier, three goals and 12 points this year. Malgin, 11 points, 36 games. Troy Brower, seven goals and 10 points. Uh, a young guy look like Lomiko. He had that four assist game against the Sens, but still learning the game. So is Bjorkstrom, one of their talented prospects. They can have a good top six forward group, even with Panarin in the fold. But how much better is it going to be if Panarin joins? How much better are the Panthers going to yeah. be if Bobrovsky joins? Like, you look at Tampa, Toronto, and Boston. They're all good. All three teams on paper right now have better depth forwards than the Panthers. Yep. And the Habs, if all the usual suspects play well, Tatar and Shaw play great, the Habs are a team in the hunt as well in the Atlantic Division. Yep. So Florida probably, even with Panarin and Bobrovsky, is going to have to battle for a wild card spot. And it all comes back to death because Toronto, Boston, and Tampa have the edge. Right. I fear that even with those two additions, even if Florida gets their way this offseason, that Florida is going to be on the same level of mediocrity as the Blue Jackets. Capable of being a top three team in their division, the very least look like a playoff team, but once they get to the playoffs, they get a tough matchup and they could be an early exit in round one. See, I disagree with that. I feel like Columbus doesn't necessarily... Like, I feel like we you already mentioned this. The Panthers... Depth is a lot better. Like it's a lot better. Like their top six is a lot better than Columbus's top six. I mean, like sure, the Panthers will have to deal with Toronto, Tampa, and Boston, um, and even Montreal now and Buffalo. But like, it's still like that's a pretty good top six, especially if you can add Panarin on there. Um, so like, I I think. I think this kind of puts them on the top of like maybe you put them behind the the Lightning and the Blue Jackets, but probably better than the Bruins, the the Sabers, and the uh, Canadians. So I I think you make the playoffs with this team. I don't think you're a middling team with this uh, if you add Panarin and Bobrovsky on that lineup, uh, especially since like a big reason why the Panthers have failed this year was because Luongo has been injured um, and he hasn't, He, I mean, he's picking it up now, but um, he hasn't been as great in like the months of November and December. So like if you can have a guy, like a consistent guy like Bobrovsky um, in the, as your goaltender uh, going forward, I think you're, you're going to be in good shape. Um, so, here's, here's, here's the thing that I should point out though. Panthers have committed almost $58.5 million to 14 guys this coming year. Yeah. Not right now, heading into next year. So my question is, okay, they got Bobrovsky and Panarin on board. What's their AAV? What's their cap hit? True. We'll, how is that, we'll that going to impact making their bottom six better? 
Because if it does impact it significantly, it will impact how good this team is going to be. You how have, good they're capable of being. But you have Huberdo, Barkov, Dadanov, Hoffman. Um, and now you add Panarin. So that's five guys. You also have, uh, uh, who else? Frank Vetrano. That's not a bad top six. Vincent Trocek, I forgot about Trocek. So that's like seven guys that I just mentioned there. So that's mm-hmm. like your your top six. Like just by bettering your top six, you're bettering your bottom six because one of those guys is going to have to move to the bottom six. Um, true, and Vetrano so, has... And like I said, taking big steps this year, which True. is good. So, and like, I'm just, I'm just concerned when I look at teams like Tampa, Toronto, and Boston. Like, not only do they have better depth than Florida right now, they're also drafting pretty well. The Panthers are doing okay, but right. like, I don't know if it's up to the level that Boston, Tampa, and Toronto is, though. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just the fact that they're in a tough division. That's what hurts them, is they're in a very tough division. True. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, speaking of Boston... They are the leading contender to being uh, to getting Panarin uh, before the deadline. Um, I know we talked about this on our trade deadline episode that Boston's likely not going to go all in on a rental, but at the same time, if if you can get a guy like Panarin, um, I I you have my full permission, Don Sweeney, to do it. Uh, do whatever it takes. It will sure will hurt because it'll probably cost uh, um, Jack Sinica or Ryan Donato, and I love those guys. But Panarin um, added like that's been a big piece for the Bruins is our top six. Um, our depth is not great, um, I would say, other than like we're kind of a one line team with uh, Marshawn, Pasternak, and Bergeron. Sure, Krejci has his moments, and Jake DeBrus has his moments, but they haven't been consistent all year. So if you can add a guy like Panarin, who has proven that he can, he doesn't need like a top level player, um, in like like he was in Columbus versus what he was in Chicago with Patrick Kane as his line mate. So um, he's like routinely a seventy five player point player. Um, He's arguably better than uh, Brad Marchand, so you, I, I, I would do it. I would trade, I would sell my the entire farm for him. Uh, just You're, okay, yeah. okay. I don't buy that for a second because there, there's always one guy that's just like, okay, this trade is not worth it. Let's. What is the one guy that Columbus asked for? Where if the Bruins do this trade and Columbus gets that guy. You're so pissed, and you're like, Panarin okay. is not worth this. All right, I may have exaggerated a bit, but um, I would say if they wanted David Pasternak, uh, Jake DeBrusque, I would be pretty pissed about. Um, yeah, those two guys, Pasternak, DeBrusque. Pasternak and DeBrusque. If they and touch them and wait, the Bruins do, do that, you mean, you'll be mad. Do you mean wingers or defensemen? Any player on the Bruins team, okay. goalie for defense. Doesn't I matter. would be pissed off. I, I would be sad if, don't get me wrong, I would be sad if, like, Ryan Donato, Jack Sinica were gone. Um, 
but I'd be pissed. I'm talking riled up. This deal is not yeah. worth it, even if we get Panera. I'd be pissed if they, if we gave up Charlie McAvoy. I'm not sure why the Columbus would want him, considering they already have two good defensemen. So I'd be pissed if they got McAvoy, Pasternak. I'd definitely be pissed. Um, I'd be sad for Marshawn and Bergeron. Yeah, I guess those are off the table, obviously. Yeah. Um. Those top lines, but uh, yeah, okay, that's that's fair. I, I I I just mean like I I'd sell whatever you want to get him, and and also I should give the caveat that you have to sign him. <laughs> like you have to sign yeah. him in the off term. Yeah, Panarin has to sign but, a contract. Right, right. Be but it. like, but my point is, is that like if if the Bruins get Panarin, like you're you're instantly. Like, that's the one, the, like, another winger or another, like, they're one player away from being, uh, on, with, like, considered on the same level as the Maple Leafs and the Lightning. So, a guy like yeah, Panarin, I, I, I that's exactly that. who we want. So, yeah, that, that's my whole point. Obviously, like, I wouldn't trade a lot of our core players, but at the mm-hmm. same time, like, you know, and, and obviously we have to sign him, but and I know we learned from Rick Nash, and it'll, it'll obviously suck if we like we lose a first round pick to them, but like uh, for the second year in a row. But at the same time, Panarin like instantly makes us a cup contender um, right away. Um, and the same can be said for Nashville. If Nashville gets like that's been another thing for Nashville for years now is their depth. Like they're kind of a one line team as well. Um, so if Nashville can get Panarin, they're they're right up there with uh, the the Jets in terms of depth on forwards. Because uh, like I can't even imagine Forsberg. You have Forsberg, Arvidsson, and Panarin like all like uh, like throughout the whole games, just having to deal with all three of those players. Um, that's good. That that'd be nuts to deal with. I do not envy any of their opponents. So yeah. I I but like you could say the same for the Bruins with Pasternak, Panarin, and Marchand mm-hmm. in terms of wingers. So, um, yeah I yeah um, but anyways those are two things. I so from the Bruins' point of view, I kind of want him, um, obviously, but. Um, but at the same time, it would really depend on the return. I guess I'm exaggerating a ton. But I, I, I guess my point was is that like last year, the Bruins made a big trade to get Rick Nash. Um, although in hindsight, it wasn't great. Just but only because Rick Nash turned out to be injured, and we were. I think the idea was was that we were going to sign him um, after the season. Um, mm-hmm. But since he got injured and retired, it didn't end up working. But I think Panarin, he's only 27 years old, so that's not even that old. Yeah, um, Panarin's different because Rick Nash, right. what, I think a bit of his best years are behind him. Panarin's so, got a lot of good hockey. Yeah, so I think the the Bruins instantly become a really good player. And especially, hey, we're looking at the, the Patriots won the Super Bowl, the Red Sox won the World Series. The Celtics looking are looking pretty good. Looking I'm looking the for the cycle, the the city cycle. Um, so I'm just saying. <laughs> um, 
we'd be uh, the, good, the, player the good news is it sounds like Anthony Davis's dad doesn't want him to play for the I know, Celtics. I, know, I, so I think uh, that's good news for their my Toronto Raptors. <laughs> sure. Um, actually, that brings us to the Bruins. We're at an hour thirty, so I can't do any of the other topics we have on on board here. But we're gonna. That's gonna take us into the Bruins sends. Mm-hmm. Um, segment. I have that I'm going first, so I, I think okay. um, I We're think, talking about the Bruins right now, so might as well True, continue. we might as well do it. Um, I, actually, so while I put up all the game recaps up here because I forgot to do it, do you have any final thoughts on this panorin? Like, will the Blue Jackets trade them before the deadline? Um, I think the wisest thing would be to trade Panarin. Okay. And I think the return has to be worth it. And yeah. I think there are going to be there are going to be teams that are willing to pay, like I said, whatever Columbus is asking. There are going to be teams that are willing to pay up to get Artemi Panarin on their roster for one shot. And I definitely think Nashville is up there. I think Boston might be up there as well. Um, I, I like I said, when it comes to Florida. They're better off waiting till free agency because they got no chance of getting with the deadline. Absolutely zero. Yeah, I um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I mean, maybe the the like maybe the Bruins or the Predators become like sign Panarin in the off season, but I feel like Panarin's they have a chance to keep Bobrovsky, but I feel like they have zero chances to get uh, Panarin. So I think if you can get a lot in return for him, you do it. I mean, of course, it's going to hurt their playoff chances, but I think you do it just for the future of their team because their future is looking pretty yeah, bright. It all, depends, still. it all depends, though, because Tortorella went on that rant, and I'm thinking, <laughs> right. I don't know, uh, you know, with, given all with all the situation between Bobrovsky and Columbus uh, a few weeks prior to that, and then the Torts tie right on top of that, he might just be sick of playing in Columbus now. Yeah, like, not with the fans and. And just the market in general, just playing with Torts. Yep. So we'll we'll we'll. I mean, obviously, we'll uh, we'll mark uh, what happens when uh, if if this happens or not. Um, I'm sure it'll be it's, it'll be a big uh, deal. And Panarin's instantly. There's going to be a lot of big trades yep. simply because the UFA class is so strong. True. Like the next six months are going to be unreal. To but Panarin is. There are a lot of big teams that are going to get paid. But Panarin is by far the biggest um, free agent this year or this offseason. He's, he's certainly up there as far as as far as big free agent forwards. Yep. Uh, he he might be up there with, I I think he's probably the Tavares of the pack. You obviously yep. have Stone and Duchesne as True. well. And Carlson if he decides to test the market will be up there for defensemen, but um I I think as far as the lead forwards go I think Panarin's the first that uh, is the first thing that's going to jump sure. on everyone's right. And also Eric Carlson hasn't been signed yet so there's that yeah. Too, but yeah. And uh, it appears to be taking a sweet time so maybe he waits till the end of the year. Sure. Anyways, uh the Bruins played the Winnipeg <laughs> Jets. Um this was this will forever be known as the Kyle Connor game. Yeah. Um Bruins, uh, but the Bruins start things off. Uh, Patrice Bergeron scores from Marshawn and Pasternak. Uh, Winnipeg then scores and ties things up from Josh Morrissey. Morrissey like scored from the blue line. Um, the power play goal. Um, it wasn't a terrible. It was like a face off. It was from the face off dot two. 
Um, it was, it was uh, I feel like Halleck should have had that. Um, anyways, uh, David Pasternak scores. He gets his 28th goal of the year uh, from a power play from Brad Marchand and Tori Krug. Uh, then, in the third period, Kyle Connor kind of uh, proves that uh, maybe the Bruins should have uh, drafted this guy. I don't know. Um, he, uh, he gets his 20th goal of the year, and then uh, 30 seconds later, he gets another one. Um, Tyler Meyer and Tyler Myers and Ben Chariot get assists on the first Kyle Connor goal, and then Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler get uh, an assist on Kyle Connor's second one. Uh, and then uh, Patrice Bergeron ties things up from, of course, Marshawn and Pasternak. So our top line kind of proves things are going. It goes. It ends up going into shootout. Um, uh, Kyle Connor, of course, gets the only goal in that shootout. Um, that was fun, for sure. Um, well, the, Bru the Bruins uh, actually put up a good fight because Hellebuck uh, was heavily tested. Yeah, he made Hubuck a couple did big look saves in the game in the shootout as well. It was it, obviously the Winnipeg Jets are like a really good team. Um, it was just a frustrating loss because, of course, you, you have Kyle Connor has that history where the Bruins passed up on. Kyle Connor uh, three straight times, so that's where it got annoying. Um, where it's just like, oh, of course Kyle Connor is like having a grudge against us, and I'm sure Shabbat, Besser, and Barzal will all have their time. And this was uh, Kyle Connor's time where he uh, he got, um, yep, where he uh, yeah, made the best. Where, where of, he had his way. Yeah, where um, he had his way. There, there was a Bruins pick that uh, caught True. both. I was gonna, that I was gonna uh, mention Trent that right after. Right? Yep, he uh, he had his first NHL debut, debut, um, and then in the second period, Brandon Tan like there was a scrum right in front of the goal line, the net, and uh, Brandon Tanev takes this young pup, um, and says like, oh let's let's give him a welcome to the NHL moment, and Brandon Tanev kind of regretted that because uh, Frederick basically just kept on throwing punches. Uh, Tanev. There, uh, there were more body shots, but yeah, uh, it was, he was he was getting most of them for sure. Yeah, it was, for sure it was uh, it was pretty uh, spectacular. I'm not a big fight guy, but I was like I was like cheering when that happened. I was like, oh, that that a boy as I was doing all that, and uh, they kept on showing Trent Frederick's parents in the stands. Oh, yeah, uh, they were they were very happy. Uh, if you do, guys don't remember, but Trent Frederick was uh, apparently Keith Gretzky said this in 2016 that Trent Frederick was a third line grinder. Um, he's projected to be a third line grinder. Um, exactly who you want in your 2016 first round pick. I was hoping that the Bruins would get Alex DeBrincat. Um, I still would rather have DeBrincat, but. Um, at least he's, uh, you know, I, I like what I'm seeing so far out of him. Um, also, I found out um, that Frederick was playing his draft year um, with a broken wrist. And for some reason, none of the scouts knew. You didn't tell anyone, which is, you know, obviously my favorite thing about hockey players is how they play injured. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then he, like, instantly, like, he has his best year in Wisconsin the next year so he um he kind of proved that he's more than just a third line grinder 
Um, so I, I do look forward to this. And he's like, he was doing pretty well in Providence as well um, this season. Uh, let me quickly look this up. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm liking what I've seen from him. Uh, we'll see. Um, also, Ryan Donato and JFK were, Jacob Firstbach and Carlson were sent down. Um, but they called up Frederick, so I I don't know. I, I would rather see Donato up on the pro roster, and JFK has been has shown some moments as well, so I'd rather see them up here. But uh, it is kind of cool to see a guy like Trent Frederick uh, make his mark almost right away. Uh, so, yeah, Trent Frederick had has 17 points in 37 games for Providence. Um, so that's not bad. Um, and then his uh, his the last year for Wisconsin, he had 32 points in 36 games uh, for Wisconsin, fully healthy. Um, so uh, good to see him. He still hasn't gotten a point yet, but um, we're we're waiting for that. Um, I, I I'm not willing to give up on him yet. Um, this was a game that Tuka, so Tuka Rask returned um, against Philadelphia. But of course, we're dealing with Carter Hart now, who's suddenly the greatest player of all time. Um, he was he was very good. Uh, Pasternak gets a goal uh, from Tory Krug and Brad Marchand. It was power play. Uh, Claude Giroux then scores to tie things up, um, and then Pasternak scores again in the second period. Um, and then Oscar Lindbaum, who seems to have the Bruins number, doesn't seem like he's he's been good anywhere else it seems like he only scores against the Bruins but he gets a goal um to tie things up in the third period and then in the overtime Travis Sanheim um gets the overtime goal uh this was uh I mean it kind of sucked uh for the Bruins obviously but at least the Bruins got a point um and that's important and Rask looked pretty good um in his return so um, I'm not worried. I was worried about his concussion and if he was going to ha- long suffer from it. But it looks like he's at least decent uh, out of the gate. So it wasn't a serious concussion for now. So I, I do like what I saw out of that. Uh, but also, kudos to Carter Hart. Um, you're, you're a good player. <laughs> um, and then lastly, the Bruins played... The Capitals on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, this, uh, if you didn't know, the the Bruins haven't beaten the Capitals since 2014, um, and there was only one goal in this game, and it happened to be the Bruins' um, goal. It was uh, David Pass Krejci from. It was a nice tic tac toe goal from Tory Krug and David Pasternak. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's all they wrote. Uh, the Capitals kind of gave. Uh, I mean, it was mostly the Bruins shot a lot at Braden Holtby. Uh, he was he was pretty good too. Um, he only he had thirty eight saves, but the Capitals really woke up in the third period um, and gave the Rask a lot to work with. But um, but yeah, Rask had a, a shutout. Um, a 24 save shutout and he um, he also with this win he becomes the Bruins winningest goalie um, of all time 
uh, beating out, uh, do you have any guesses on who the second winningest goalie for Bruins franchise history? Or do you want me to just tell you? Um, uh, now that Rask is number one, well, I know the answer because I've seen it on Twitter. It's Tiny Thompson. Oh, okay. I guess I ruined it. I don't know. Would you have gotten <laughs> it if I, if you, if you hadn't looked? I didn't know you looked. Would you have gotten uh, it? I don't think I would have. You know that's a, that's a good guess, honestly. I, I maybe because they they alternated between so many goalies. I probably would have said like maybe Gary Cheevers. Yeah, I think Cheevers might have been my guess, but not really. Anyways, it's uh well now it's Tuka Rask and Tiny Thompson uh, is the second most. Uh, two fifty three wins for Tuka Rask. Take that, Michael Felger, and any Tuka Rask haters out there. Um, we should definitely trade our the winningest goalie in Bruins franchise history. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. Not, that that's a smart be, move. Well, yes. How, how did Tuka Rask, you know, get to so many wins? So yeah. Because this guy, this guy, this guy. Yeah. Um, of course, Michael <laughs> Felger has been a big uh, hater of the Patriots as well, so I'm sure he's having a great day today. <laughs> Um, he can't hate on six Super Bowls. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I know. I think he he, he felt like this team was the worst team um, that he's seen in a while, and that they would continue to lose. But then the Patriots kept on using that as motivation, so maybe that will be his spin zone. We'll see. Um, I'm sure, I doubt he's talking about Tuka Rask today. Um, anyways, um, so the Bruins broke a streak. Uh, they haven't been in the Washington since 2014. Um, and it was a 14-game losing streak for the Bruins. Just proves that you, 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 I won't let you beat the them 15 times. It just won't happen. Uh, 14 I times. Thought, I thought that was actually going to be a battle win for the Patriots. It was like, yeah. oh, the Bruins beat the Capitals. That means the Patriots are definitely going to lose. Yeah, I know. I know. I was thinking, like, if is it a good sign or not? I wasn't sure, <laughs> but uh, I'll take it. it uh, whatever. Um, and I guess that means that that was Braden Holtby's first loss against the Bruins. Um, I think it was. I think yeah. it was not the last time the Bruins beat him. Possibly, yeah. Uh, the Bruins this week they play. Uh, let me quickly look at their schedule quickly here. Uh, they play the Islanders um, t- uh, tomorrow Tuesday, um, and then they play the Rangers on Wednesday. Although it's not away for uh, the Rangers, but oh yeah, also the Beanpots tonight um, if, if you guys care about that, college hockey um, the and then they play the Kings on Saturday and the Avalanche on Sunday um, every game is a home game except for the Rangers game on Wednesday, um, so there's that um, and um, also I have here that Reportedly, the Bruins are interested in Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle, and Tyler Toffoli, according to uh, Darren Drager. Um, so we may be, uh, uh, <laughs> our teams may be uh, in cahoots pretty soon. Um, maybe. We'll see. Um, Mookie Betts also wins the bowling championship I have here. He won a <laughs> celebrity championship. I, I wanted to brag for Boston Sports had a... Had a good Sunday, we'll say that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of, uh, I like Dzingle. I, I don't know how much, uh, what the return will be. Duchesne, I, I kind of liked as well. Um, 
However, I feel like the big issue is going to be um, what the senators would want in return. Um, I doubt you guys want David Backus, if, even if he was willing to move his no-movement clause. I'm sure you would like uh, David Krejci. Um, again, I'm not sure why he would move his no-movement clause um, for the for the senators. So, um, yeah, I, I just don't know how they would do it. Um, and also, Pierre Dorian is, is historically known to uh, not trade in the division. So I'm not necessarily sure if this will happen. Um, I'm sure they're looking into Duchesne and Zingle. Toffoli would be interesting, though. Um, I'm sure it would cost less than Panarin um, to get Panarin. But um, yeah. I don't know. Toffoli could be interesting. Um, anyways, uh, let's go to the sentence. When it comes to Stone and Duchesne, I don't care if they trade with the Leafs. Get as much as you can in return if you trade them. Also, um, final Bruins note, David Pasternak is a 30-goal scorer. Yeah. Anyways. It also may be like a, like I feel like maybe if the Sens are going to trade in the division, they might be trying to help the Bruins just so that they can beat the Leafs. Like an enemy of my enemy yeah, is my friend kind of thing. So that's, yeah. that's also a possibility. Yeah. Anyways, your Sens. Well, before they trade anyone away, I guess we should talk about what they did this week. Yep. Uh, their first game back from their bye week in Pittsburgh, so uh, probably expecting this to end in a loss. Um, Pens get off to a 2 nothing lead after 20. Uh, both teams exchange goals in the middle frame. It's 3-1 to after 2. Pens go up 4-1 to in the third, thinking it's game over, and then the Sens get their second power play goal of the game to cut the lead in half. And then Matt Duchesne, speaking of Matt Beats Casey to Smith. It's a 4 3 game. But like many Sens comebacks this year, it falls short. They lose 5 to 3. Um, other stats in this game, though, were pretty even. Shots on goal, both teams had 40, which is impressive. Uh, Jake Ensel and uh, Brian Russ got two goals each for the Penguins. Um, all of the Penguins' goals were at even strength, so no power play goals against. That was a plus. Um, Pittsburgh, of course, has an abundantly better team than the Sens do. But I don't think they overly dominated the Sens at the same time. I, like, like I've alluded to in the podcast before, if the Sens have better starts and better finishes, this is a team that could squeeze out some good results. And you look at their young forwards like Brady Kachuk, he had eight hits and four shots against the Penguins. Uh, Shabbat almost played 28 minutes. The, kid, the kids are getting more and more experience. Even if they're not winning games, not it, it's it's not a total loss. It's not a great showing, but it's not a total loss. Um, so that was on Friday night. Then they go home on Saturday, the next night to host Detroit. The Wings get goals from Danny DeKaiser of all people and Darren Helm of all people. Thirty-nine seconds apart, they go up two nothing in the first. Bernie stops everything he sees. Thirty-five shots, two goals. All Detroit needs, Sens get blanked 2 to nothing on the scoreboard. Uh, they actually outshot Detroit 15-7 to in the first and 13-5 to in the third. But again, just not coming up with the results right now. Um, only one power play shot on goal. Like, geez, it's Detroit. One power play shot on goal. They could get two. Like, you give up 21 shots in the game. Only one power play shot on goal. Still can't win. I, I thought I thought this was definitely a winnable game. 
and um, that's poss that's possibly why I was a bit hurt by that because even though like they had some good chances they just they just can't finish and um, it yeah <laughs> I just hope for something good to happen, Brett. Honestly, like, yeah. keep, keep at least keep Stone, okay? Right. Just, at least do that. I feel like, like Stone. I, Stone I, I is going to be a captain. But just don't get rid of Stone, please. I'm gonna say I think Stone will be the captain next year once they sign him. I don't think you have to worry about Stone. Yeah, yeah, but um, it's a sense. So there's, I, know. A, I guess, a lot to be concerned it's about. True. Um, but. But he's been on the team forever now. I feel like I, I just feel like he like it would be weird if the Sens traded him. I I just don't see that happening. Well, the only way the Sens trade him is if he doesn't want to stay. I mean, if right? He's, if he's not going to stay, then don't lose him for nothing. But like he said before that he likes it in Ottawa. Like there's no yeah. Like, but I also know. heard from previous reports that Duchesne's out the door. Stone might not be far behind. So I'm hoping that's just a media rumor and not something that is actually true. But the difference between Stone and Duchesne is Stone is not letting anything out in the public. Like there's. There's, there's, you know, been some circulating yeah. reports by the media that if Duchesne, if Duchesne uh, doesn't get more than eight million from Melnick, he's probably gone. They're, they're not getting much of anything from the Stone negotiations. Like, not, no word is getting out that like, oh, we're close to a deal, or nah, he's probably not coming back. It's all been hush hush with Mark Stone. Yep. And I don't expect anything different. I, I, my hope is that if. If they don't get him signed before the deadline and he stays, then they're taking their chance with him in free agency, and that really scares me because there are a lot of other teams that could offer a lot more for Stone than what Ottawa could. Like, not just financially. Um, he, he would go to probably a team that has a better track record of winning. So right. we'll, we'll talk a bit more about the Stone and Duchesne stuff as we – Sure. get more towards what their future is like. Um, I'm more focused on this week when the Sens are in Toronto on Wednesday, so that's probably another loss. Uh, they return home to face a struggling Ducks team, so hey, they might win that Thursday night game. And then Saturday, they uh, face a point Winnipeg Jets offense in an afternoon game, so they're probably twice as likely to lose that one because they can't win in the afternoon, even when they were good. So um, that's what's happened on the ice. Off the ice, there's also a bit going on. Uh, Zach Smith was fined $5,000 for his actions against the Penguins on Friday when he elbowed defenseman Marcus Peterson. Uh, that happened uh, 646 into the second. Uh, Drake Batherson, he, uh, speaking of positive signs, he did some damage to the AHL All-Star game. Five times he scored in the three-on-three. That's -three. Yeah, one deal. more in the shootout for good measure. His uh, North Division ended up taking on the title. And uh, actually, funny stat about the skills competition in the AHL. Uh, the winner of the fastest skater, Anthony Greco, beat Connor McDavid's time at the NHL's fastest skater. So on this occasion, he was actually faster than McDavid. Wow. Um, what's not all amazing is that the Sens placed Nick Paul on waivers. I don't know if you want to check on Twitter, Brett, if he was claimed or not, but this happened yesterday. I'll check. Let's see here. And um, so he was placed on waivers on Sunday. Uh, deadline to claim him was noon on Monday. So we probably know by now if he was claimed or not, but um, I, I did get word. Uh, he on cleared waivers. Huh? He cleared waivers. 
Okay, so now he's in the minors. Okay, so they still have Nick Paul. Um, in the alumni circle, Vermette, Antoine Vermette, has announced his retirement after 14 NHL seasons. Uh, I think people forget before he played for Columbus, Arizona, Chicago, and Anaheim, he started his career with the Sens. Uh, so um, uh, my congrats to him and uh, best of wishes to Antoine Vermette as he enters retirement life. Um, very good career, very nice guy, and uh, quite uh, the hell of a face-off man as well. Uh, someone who won't be playing for the Sens, or so it seems, is 67's overager Ty Felber, and I'll probably talk uh, a bit about the 67's and Felber specifically in a future episode. But uh, in case you haven't been following the OHL, Ty Felber is the OHL's leading goal scorer, also the OHL's leading scorer. And uh, at last check, he was close to signing with the Dallas Stars. Um, might be a done deal by the time you listen to this. It's a shame if the Sens miss out on him because. He's right in front of them this entire time. Any team could have signed him. I'm happy for Ty. It's a long time coming for him. But if I'm a Sens fan, I'm disappointed uh, if uh, he ends up going elsewhere because um, you, you talk about all the local products um, that the Sens have in their system, Borvieski, Pajot, CC for now. Yep. Um, Ty Fellerber would have been a nice guy to add to that mix, but... Um, it appears uh, the Dallas Stars have beaten Ottawa to that punch. But uh, I'm nevertheless happy for Ty Felber. He deserves to go to an NHL team, and it appears he's getting his chance now. All right. <laughs> I've never heard of the guy, but um, I'm sure I'm sure he'll be something, maybe. <laughs> he, he was he was a 30-goal scorer so. last year and, like, 70-point guy. But this year, I think he's at a goal-per-game pace. Oh, like, wow. he at least has 50 now. That's impressive. And and they're not even close to being done the year. There's, like, two months left in the OHL regular season. Wow. Or just a bit under that. So, um, he, he could he – could, he's he, at this rate, he could hit 70. Wow. All right. We're at, actually at two-hour mark right now. So, um <laughs> – I should cut it to a close. Uh, you yep. can catch us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, subscribe and follow us to all those places and accounts. That's where you'll find us. Um, that's about it. Uh, go Pats. Um, I'll probably go to the parade tomorrow. Um, or as this is recording, or as as you guys are listening to this, I'll be at the parade. Um yeah, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth, praying the sins don't trade anyone significant. We'll talk again in episode 158 of the Lace Up Podcast.